been preaching through the Gospels, the harmony of the Gospels, and I'm excited to bring this message as we enter into really the Easter season, if you will. Um, I have a question for you. When you were a kid, do you remember when grown-ups used to ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? You remember that? Yeah, and you're like, you know, you, you shot for the moon, didn't you? I mean, you wanted to be like an astronaut or like, you know, my son wants to play in the NBA or uh, the MLB or both at the same time. I mean, you know, we have these crazy <laughs> dreams. I don't really remember what I said, um, but I can, I can guarantee you I did not say I wanted to be a pastor, <laughs> which shows God has an incredible sense of humor. And, and he has a plan for your life. He had a plan for my life. And I never thought, in a, I mean, in a million years that I wanted to be a pastor. I mean, that was not on my radar. But here I am. God has done it. He, has, he had a plan. I do remember, yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, I, I do remember that when I was in high school, for some crazy reason, I wanted to be a lawyer. I did. I wanted to be a lawyer. And, and, and I don't know why, because there's a lot of lawyer jokes. I mean, disproportionate, there's a lot of lawyer jokes. Am I right? I mean, we make fun of lawyers a lot. And uh, I don't really like to argue. Like, I don't know why I want to be a, a lawyer. I don't, I don't like arguing with people. I, like, avoid it if I can. You want to argue with me? No, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm, I'll pass. Uh, and I certainly didn't want to go to college twice. I mean, I've got to go to college twice. And now I look back, it's kind of ironic because uh, I went to college five times <laughs> for four degrees, you know, and, and that doesn't really make me smarter. That just makes me somebody who donates more to universities. <laughs> college is really expensive, is it not? How many of you have been paying for college? Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't really know. I never, I never even stepped foot in a courtroom. I mean, up to high school, you know, through high school. I know, why would I want to be a lawyer? I mean, my understanding of, of courtrooms was Judge Wapner in the People's Court. You guys remember that show? Some of you are a little older like me, and you remember? And, and my other favorite courtroom show was, was uh, Night Court, you know, Judge Harry Stone. I don't even know if that counts, because it was totally a sitcom, right? I mean... That was it. That's all I got. But you know what? Today, you can turn on the TV and you can see Judge Judy and Judge Joe and Judge Janine and Judge Karen. I think she might want to change the name of that show, though, because it's not good to be a Karen these days. Am I right? But, but seriously, though, if you've ever been in some, some kind of legal trouble before, if you've ever been in legal trouble, you know that if you're going before the judge, well, that can be scary. And especially if it's possible that you might be going to jail and the judge can determine and sentence you to go to jail. That, that's a little bit scary. Now, there's probably a lot of us here that think, well, I'm never going to be in that situation. I'll, I'll never be in front of a judge with the possibility of going to jail or going somewhere I don't want to go. But here's the reality. You will be. We all will stand before a judge someday. We're all going to stand before God. And be judged. In Revelation 20 in the Bible, it says that there's a great, great white throne judgment that will judge all, all those that don't believe in Jesus. And then in First or Second Corinthians 5, there's a judgment seat of Christ for all those that do believe in Jesus. And, and so um, the question I wanted to ask is, what is God judging? What is God gonna, you're going to stand before God someday, and He's going to judge you. What's He judging you on? And the answer is, 
your righteousness. Are, are you righteous in front of a perfect, holy God? Are you righteous? And, and there's a, probably on a seat next to you, it was intentional that we put those out. There's a little pamphlet that says, are you good enough to go to heaven? And, and that word good enough is, is oftentimes becomes relative for people because we sort of, as people, we want to know if we're good enough so we compare ourselves to other people. And in the world today, you don't have to look very far and you can see somebody worse than you. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, you don't have to look around too far. You know, just don't look at the person next to you that you came to church with. <laughs> they might get a little upset with you. Uh, but if you compare yourself to other people, to determine, to, to make yourself righteous, that only works in your eyes. That doesn't work in God's eyes. Because God compares you to his son, Jesus. And Jesus was perfect. Jesus never sinned. He never disobeyed God. He was, he was perfect. And can you say that about yourself? Because I can't. I, I know I'm, I'm far from, from perfect. Um, so here's the reality. I'm going to stand before God, you're going to stand before God someday, and you're going to be judged, and the only really acceptable way to, to respond to that at this point in time is, is the way I would respond in this, I need a good lawyer. <laughs> I need a really good lawyer. Anybody else in the house need a really good lawyer when it comes to standing before God? And here's the good news. You have a good lawyer. You have a good lawyer, and his name is Jesus. You have, you have an an advocate. And I, I, I got one even better for you. You may not know Jesus yet, but I know his phone number. It's not 1-800-CALL-SAM either. I know his phone number. It's 1 John 2-1. 1-J-O-H-N-2-1. Um, That's as close as I'm going to get to... Uh, if I had a million commercials out there, then maybe you'd remember 1-J-O-H-N-2-1. I know you know 1-800-CALL-SAM because there's been a million commercials about it, but um, I could come up with, well, my wife is very talented. She can come up with a jingle. I guarantee you, 1 John 2, 1. Um, let me bring you to that verse. Um, by the way, if you want a Bible, we have free Bibles here. They're under the chairs. They're back at the welcome table. Please take a Bible if you need a Bible. 1 John 2, 1. Um, here it says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you. That's John, the disciple of Jesus, writing to the church that you may not sin. But he says, if anyone does sin, and here's the part, I want to just kind of sit on this for a little while here. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And let me tell you that what's, what's so interesting about that word advocate. So as you probably know, the Bible English that we have in English, that's not the original text. Uh, when they wrote the, the New Testament um, 1,700 years ago, 1,800 years ago, when they finally put it into written form, uh, it was written in Greek, in Greek. And, and when the, the words in Greek, we translate to, to English, and the Greek word for advocate here, um, the Greek word is parakletos. Parakletos. And if you've been coming to Wednesday nights at 7, and uh, you came last week, you heard this word before. The word para means near, and kletos means called. The one who's called near to you. And it's real interesting that, that here, the, the parakletos is Jesus, because 
in four times in the Gospel of John, the Parakletos is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, and he actually says it's that he's the helper. He's the one who's going to dwell in you and help you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. You need the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, to help you. But yet here, John calls Jesus the Parakletos, which is very interesting because we need a helper to make us righteous. Because when you stand in front of God, you won't need to defend yourself. You won't need to say anything at all. In fact, if you try to talk, Jesus will be like, shh, shh. You ever been shushed before? You know, there's some people that just can't help but talk. You know, silence is deafening to them. You know, they, it's painful to them. Do you know the person I'm talking about that can't stop talking? Again, if they're next to you, don't look at them, okay? It's, they're going to get mad. But sometimes it's really annoying when someone can't stop talking, right? And you're just like, Sh- shut your pie hole already, all right? For the love of Jesus, just be quiet. But if that person tries to talk, tries to defend themselves before God, Jesus would be like, shh, I got this. I got this. And when God looks at you and says, why should you be allowed into my perfect heaven? And Jesus will say, if you've put your faith in him, Jesus will say, I died for him. I died for her. And God will say, welcome. Come in. That's the only way, because you need a good lawyer. And Jesus is a really good lawyer. He's your advocate, because he died for you. That's the fact. You need a good lawyer. You need the advocate. Now, normally, the gospel message, the good news about Jesus, that's what the word gospel means, that usually comes at the end of the message, and, and pastors will preach the gospel, and they'll invite you to come up at the end of the message. But, you know, I like to mix things up a little bit, keep you on your toes. And here you have the message, the gospel message, at the beginning. And I'm inviting you to give your life to Jesus Christ, to surrender your life to him, to put your faith in him. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've been to plenty of church services, but no one ever invited you to pray to God and say, God, I'm not good enough on my own. I need a Savior. Save me. I need forgiveness for my sins. I've done some bad things, and I I feel terrible about them. I'm tired of living with guilt and shame, and I want to be forgiven. God, forgive me. However you say it, it could be a short, simple prayer, but it's the most effective prayer you'll ever pray, let me tell you. So I'm inviting you to do that. I'm inviting you right now, for 30 seconds, I'll be silent, which I'm okay with. Not everybody is, but I'm okay with it. And I'll let you pray in your own words, silently to God. And if you've never prayed, God, Forgive me. I'm not good enough. I need. I need Jesus. Just pray that prayer. And after 30 seconds, I'll pray and for us all, and, and then we'll get into the heart of the message. Does that sound good to you? All right, let's, let's bow our heads, and, and, and you go ahead and, and talk to God.
Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for today. We love you. And Father, I know that there's many here that, that have put their faith in your son Jesus to save them. And God, I pray if there's anyone here that's done that today for the first time, they would just, they'd want to share that. They'd want to celebrate that. That's a huge, life-changing step. I pray, Father, I pray you'd bless them. I pray that if there's anyone here that's just holding back, God, that you would, you would just pursue them, pursue them, and that they would, they would just turn to you. Turn to you and be healed. Father, show them your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So if you did pray that prayer for the first time, um, there's a connection card on a, on a chair in front of you. I'd love for you to fill that out so I can follow up with you and celebrate with you. And you can put that connection card. Um, if you have prayer requests, you can fill out the connection card for that. If you're a new guest, you fill out the connection card. And our welcome table is in the back there um, by the uh, TV in the back. And you can just put that right in there. And we have always a free gift for you, coffee mug, if you'd like to take that, or a Bible. So I hope you'll, hope you'll share that. I'm excited to, uh, to see what God has done and what God will do. Um, so here we are. We're, we're in this, this message called The Longest Prayer of Jesus. And uh, I thought about naming it, you know, The Other Lord's Prayer. Because uh, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. Uh, you know, Our Father who art in heaven. We, you know, especially if you've been to a, a church that repeats it every service. You, you might know that, you know, prayer. Uh, but... But that's really uh, not the, the, truly the Lord's prayer, Jesus' prayer, uh, his longest prayer recorded in John 17, and that's what we're going to look at today, um, the longest prayer of Jesus. So that's the name I got for you today, the longest prayer of Jesus. Do, do you love it when people pray for you? I love it when people pray for me. Isn't that wonderful when people are praying for you? Yeah. Um, Jesus prayed for you, specifically, 2,000 years ago. Did you know that? Like, he actually prayed for you. If you're a believer today, Jesus prayed for you, and I'm going to show you that. This prayer that Jesus has, it actually comes just before his crucifixion. We call it Good Friday. I still don't know why we call it Good Friday. It was not good for Jesus. Okay, but it, good maybe because you get a day off of work. I don't know, or off of school. But it's, it's really not a good Friday. But it was good in the end because he rose again on Sunday. And that's coming up quick, right? It's coming around the corner. We, that week is a big week. We have a Wednesday um, service. We have a Good Friday service at, at 7. And then we have Sunday service. And we have two services on Sunday. Did you hear this? We have 9.15 and 11 a.m. on Sunday. So we have two services. So it's very exciting. So um, please plan to, to come. But just before uh, Good Friday... Uh, just after the Lord's Supper and Jesus washed his disciples' feet and he instituted communion, there was a little time there where Jesus walked with his disciples, kind of in the nighttime, and he walked through a vineyard and he taught them about, you know, probably his last teaching, John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches, he gave him a little teaching. And, and then he, 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 he prayed this prayer. In John chapter 17, that's, that's where we're at in the timeline of the life of Jesus. And uh, some Bibles call it the high priestly prayer. Jesus is our high priest, so he's praying for us. Um, but I will tell you that in this little prayer here, that um, you can kind of look at it in three parts. I'm going to break it up into three parts for you. 
The first part, Jesus prayed, show them my glory, verses 1 through 5. And then the next part, Jesus prayed for his disciples, protect them in your name. And then in the final part, verses 20 through 26, Jesus prayed for us, all future disciples, and he says, basically, your greatest witness will be your unity. Your unity. So we're going to start in verse 1. And uh, this is how I, how I teach the Bible. I preach through the Bible, verse, um, one verse at a time, and we go through um, each chunk of the Bible at a time. And so here we are in John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Now you might have heard that before, that expression, the hour has come. Really what he's saying here is, is my time is up. My time is up. The cross is before me. The, my cross is before me. The whole reason Jesus left um, heaven to come to earth is right here. It's here. The hour, in fact, it's less than 24 hours away at this point when he says this. His excruciating death, which really exciting, on April 10th, Sunday, April 10th, our youth, led by the Honorable Mr. Barry, uh, has a play to present. Um, they will have a play the first half of, of the um, Sunday, so on April 10th. So that's really exciting to, to um, see that. And, and this excruciating uh, death that Jesus is about to have um, is important. He says, the hour has come. This is important. If Jesus doesn't shed his blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You have no atonement for your sins. If, if Jesus doesn't go to the cross, you can't be freed from being a slave to your sin. So Jesus has to complete the plan, and that's why he says that my hour has come. And then he says this, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. In other words, show them my glory. Because at this point, remember, Jesus to, to them, to many of them, is just a man. But we know now that Jesus was fully man, but yet fully God. So he's saying, show them my glory, and I'll glorify you, Father. And this really helps us understand what does it mean that um, this word glory. We've talked about this uh, in our men's Bible study. You know, what, is this, what does this glory mean? Well, glory, uh, you can look at the sun when it comes out in Michigan sometimes. Uh, you can look at the glory of the sun. You know that that's a radiance, a brightness. That, that's, that's, that's one definition of glory. But another definition of glory uh, is, is this idea of, of um, esteeming greatly, uh, thinking highly of. That's actually um, the, the right definition here. Because the word, the Greek word, is doxa, D-O-X-A, doxa. And when you dive into that and you get into what does that mean exactly, it means to esteem greatly, to, to, to think highly of, to praise brightly, if you will. And to glorify then means to reveal God's greatness. So if you glorify God, you're revealing his greatness. That you think so highly of him, you reveal that. And so that's what Jesus did with his work on the cross. He wanted to honor his father 
And so he revealed his greatness by dying on the cross for you. God loved you so much. John 3.16 tells us, God so loved the world, he gave us his only son so you can have eternal life. He revealed his greatness. So how do you respond to that? How do you glorify? How do we glorify God? How do we doxa is the word. How do we doxa? Well, the answer is with a doxology. You ever heard that word before? That's what it means. That's what a doxology is. It's a short hymn of praise. But it's really the whole purpose of, of singing a short hymn of praise is to reveal God's greatness. A doxology. The most tradition or the traditional doxology written for the Protestant churches in 1674 in England. You might know it. But I'm not going to sing it because I married someone who can sing. For a reason, all right? Because I can't, but I, I... Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. However that goes. <laughs> so, wonderful doxology written for the churches. But the truth is, when you read your Bible, you'll see lots of doxologies. You'll see writers in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, and they'll write something about God, about, especially Paul does it, and, and all the writers. They, they write, and when they write, when they reveal God's greatness, they kind of finish it sometimes with a little doxology, a little praise. And so if you see that in Scripture, I encourage you to sing it. Because the writer probably did. Think about it. He was, you know, the Holy Spirit moved the men who moved the pen, but here he is writing that, and then he probably started singing. And as he was writing it. I mean, that's what a doxology is. But you know what? You can do more than sing to reveal God's greatness. In fact, you should do more than sing. Jesus says this in John 17, 10. Verse 10, he says, All mine are yours, speaking of the disciples, and yours are mine. And he says, I am glorified in them. What does that say to you if Jesus is glorified in you? I hope it says to you that my actions count. They matter. How I live my daily life, is it revealing God's greatness? Do people look at the way you drive and say, yeah, that's a Christian right there? <laughs> Sorry, I had to say it. But what are you doing seriously that reveals the grace of Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? I mean, what, what does your life say about his greatness? Think about that this week. When you, when you have your time with God, your quiet time, think about how does your life reveal God's greatness? How are you glorifying God is really what, what that means. I hope that brings a greater meaning to because I often sign off on an email or something, for his glory, Pastor Matt. You know, I'm saying, I'm, try I'm trying to do everything for his glory. I'm trying to reveal his greatness. We all should. Amen? So we move on to verses 6 through 19, where Jesus prays, protect my disciples in your name. 
So I'll read to you some of these verses here, verses 11 and 12. So if you're in John 17, we're in verse 11 and 12. Jesus said, I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world. I'm coming to you, Father. And he says, keep them in your name. You've given them to me, and I want them to be one as we are one. But while I was with them, I kept them in your name, because you've given them to me. I've guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the son of perdition or destruction, that's Judas Iscariot, that the scripture would be fulfilled. For three and a half years, Jesus protected his 12 disciples, even Judas Iscariot. He protected them until it was time that he betrayed them. But he protected them. Why did he do that? Because God gave them to him. Just like parents, when you have a child, God gives you that child as a gift, and you do, at all costs, you protect them. Am I right? Yes. And Jesus treasured these young men, and he protected them. And the way he protected them is with truth. The truth of God's word. The truth was so important. He says this in verse 14 and 15. I've given them your word, and the world will hate them. Because they're not of the world. Just as like, I'm not of the world. But then he says this, which is important for us. I I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you just keep them from the evil one. So I know you know this, Christians, but we have a common enemy, and it is the devil, the evil one. There's a spiritual battle always going on. Is it, am I right? Yeah, and so the evil one hates truth, hates the truth of God's word. And here's the scarier part, I feel like, is that we often don't understand this, is that the evil one is called the prince of this world. So he's kind of running the show here. And we're in the midst of it. And that's why Jesus is talking about we're not of the world, but we're in the world. Because we're not of the world, because we're not of the evil one. The evil one's kind of, you know, running the show here. And, and, and Well, Jesus said it best when he said, you know what? When the evil one speaks, when the devil speaks, he lies. That's his native language. When he talks, he lies. We see it in the very beginning. He lied to Eve. He lies. And he has lots of followers that will lie right along with him. So when you, a follower of Christ, follower of the Bible, the truths of the word, when you live by those truths, the world will tell you you're stupid. When you say, I don't want to have sex before marriage, I want to save myself for marriage because that's what the Word tells me, that's what marriage is sanctified for that purpose, sex is sanctified for marriage, and you do that, the world tells you, you're dumb, you're out of touch, don't do that. I mean, when, when you have an unplanned pregnancy, the world says, just get an abortion, you don't need it. This is what the world says to you but that's not what the Word says to you. That's not what God's Word says to us. And let's be honest, the laws in America are constantly being changed to reflect the world's opinion, the majority world's opinion, not God's opinion. I mean, that's happening all the time. And if you stand on God's Word, I promise you, you will be persecuted in one form or another. But take heart, because even though you'll be persecuted, you will be protected. 
God it will protect you, and Jesus will keep on praying for you. That's what this is all about, the longest prayer of Jesus, and he will keep praying for you. Just like his disciples, he will pray that you are set apart for his purposes. That's the word sanctification, set apart. John 17, 17 and 18. Jesus said, prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Where do we find truth? Like real absolute truth. The word, the word of God. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, sanctification, we often think of, wow, that's a very religious term. Sounds very religious, doesn't it? Sanctification. But it's really not. It's not, a, it's not a religious word at all. It just means set apart for a purpose. You sanctified your toothbrush this morning because you wanted fresh breath. I, at least I hope you did. Warn me if you didn't, was just keep my distance. You sanctified your car to get you here. You sanctified the bus to get you here for the purpose of coming to church. Jesus prayed that you would be sanctified, set you apart so that you will live by the truth and you'll share that truth. In the, again, the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, helps you, guides you from your calling to your justification through your sanctification to your glorification. I mean, that's the Holy Spirit helping us all along. And Jesus keeps on praying for you. Keeps on praying for you. Lastly, verses 20 through 26, Jesus prayed for all of us here today, all the Christians all the way through the centuries, Jesus prayed that your greatest witness will be your unity that you will be one. This is what it says in verse 20 of chapter 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, guys. That's us. Woo! All right? He prays. They, may be, they all will be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us. Why would he want us to be unified? Here it is so the world may believe, so others will believe that you sent me. They'll believe in Jesus. And the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Here's what I know. Unity is the church's greatest witness. And division is the church's greatest weakness. Think about that. Unity is our greatest witness, but division is our greatest weakness. There's a good analogy that Melanie shared with me this week. If you were an orphan, and, and you were looking for a family, and a family took you in to foster you and maybe adopt you at some point, and all that family ever did was fight and argue and yell and bicker at each other, would you want to be a part of that family? No. No way. So why would anyone want to be a Christian if all they see the church doing is fighting and dividing, if Sunday morning is still segregated by skin color, if we have rich churches and poor churches, Democrat churches and Republican churches, if churches just keep on dividing themselves, that's not going to be a witness. That's not going to do what Jesus called us to do, and that is, Go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. 
we can't do that if we act like our community or our country, which is, keeps getting divided over all these issues. The church can't follow suit. The church has to lead and be unified. Paul wrote this in Ephesians, this little letter to the church in Ephesus. I encourage you to read your Bible all the time, don't I? But I really encourage you to go home and read Ephesians 1. One chapter. Can you do that? One chapter? In that one chapter, Ephesians 1, you'll see 11 times Paul urges the church, you are in Christ. 11 times he says, in Christ. Talking about the unity that we have as Christians. We are in Christ. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care how much money you make. You are in Christ. You're unified. It's beautiful. We need that unity if we're going to be a witness, if we're going to show God's love. And I know it's not easy. I'm not standing up here pretending it's easy. I understand completely. After almost 16 years in ministry, it gets messy. Ministry can be messy. And and you can be in in conversation with people that are different than you, and it, it can get ugly quick. But we're called to do this. We're called to love people. We're called to love one another, which is why we have made signs made up so that the, our community would see in people's yards. I was driving down 12 Mile this week, so excited because somebody put up one of our signs. Somebody took it home, put it in their yard. Love one. Hey, that's our sign. Life of purpose. Love one another. Jesus said it. There's some in the back if you want to take one home today and put it up. But that's what we're called to do. Love one another. To be one in Christ. And it's hard sometimes. But you know what? When it gets really hard, just remember, Jesus is your advocate. He's praying for you. He's praying for you. He wants you to do this. He gave us the most wonderful example in John chapter 8. I don't have the scripture up, and I'm just going to tell you the story real quick, and I'm going to finish with this. There was a woman that was brought to Jesus who was caught in adultery. I mean, they caught her in the act. That means they knew that this was probably her lifestyle, and they knew she was having an affair, or maybe she was more than that and having multiple affairs. We don't know the whole backstory, but we know that they caught this woman in adultery, and she had a lifestyle that nobody really approved of. And they used her to get at Jesus. They thought, okay, we're going to get him now. And the religious leaders hated Jesus because he did some things that they didn't like in terms of he healed people on the Sabbath, and he was claiming to be the Messiah, the the one that God was... And they just didn't like him, so they bring this woman to him, this this woman that, you know, kind of probably a lot of people talked about behind her back, and She's in this lifestyle. They bring her to, to Jesus. And here's the, 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 they think they got him because if Jesus accepts her, if he accepts her, well, then they have grounds for attacking him. And, and if he um, doesn't accept her, if he condemns her, well, then all the people will just think, well, Jesus, you're not loving, you're not, you know, you're a hypocrite. So they, it's like, acceptance, or condemn. And there's, it's black and white, right, for them? And, and boy, isn't that where we're at today, Christians? When it comes to these issues? 
you, you say you're a Christian, okay, well, you either got to accept or you condemn, right? And we got, we got you know, liberals that are demanding acceptance, and we got, and we got uh, conservatives that are demanding condemnation, and, and there's these issues about justice for the black community and equality for the LGBTQ uh, community, and there's pro-life for the baby and pro-choice for the mother, and there's all these issues, and how do we respond to that? Don't you feel like it's just so messed up right now? So hard. How do we respond? I have the answer. Look at the life of Jesus. Look what Jesus did right here in this moment. Did Jesus condemn this woman? No. Did he accept her lifestyle? No. And there's no other way to look at that. He did not condemn her. He did not accept her. You know what he did? He valued her. He valued her. He showed her she was worthy of his love. He valued her as a person. He talked to her about forgiveness and he pointed her to a new life in him. In church, that's what we got to do. That's what we need to do. You may not agree with a person, but you need to value them. Validate them as a person worthy of God's love. And when we do that as a church, we're different. We are set apart for his purpose. And that's what we're called to do. That's the greatest witness. When we say, I value you. I may not agree with you or your lifestyle. I may not accept it. I'm not condemning you. I value you. And God loves you and I love you. Can we do that as a church? You don't have to do it alone. Don't think you're alone. We're one in Christ. We're one in Christ. You're never alone. And I believe we can do it. And I'll be praying that we do it together. That life of purpose will make a difference, a true difference in this community because we love one another. Say amen. Amen. I'm going to pray. Our music uh, band is going to come up and sing our final song. Heavenly Father, please keep advocating for us. Please, Jesus, keep praying for us. Because we know this isn't easy. We know this is hard. And we need your help. We always need your help. We want to show love to others. We want to show that they have value and worth. We know that you've sent your son to die for them. To die for us. I pray, Father, as we go out into our world, into our workplace, and our school, and our neighborhood, that we can love one another. And that we can have real conversations. Help us to do that. Help us to not condemn, to judge, but to love. For God, you showed us the greatest example by sending your son to die for us. You love us. And I pray, God, we will love you and love one another. In Jesus' name. Thank you.